Welcome to Wattcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Women Around Town. In 2010, Stephanie Thompson Harris lost her daughter, Imani, to a rare disease. Children are not supposed to die before their parents do, and when that happens, it upends the natural order of things. Stephanie was left with many challenges. First, working through overwhelming grief that followed her daughter's death. But she also had to go back to work and had to try to figure out her career path forward. And she wanted to find a way to keep the memory of her child alive. Her journey was difficult, but along the way she learned life lessons that she wanted to share with other women who may also be facing challenges in their lives. We can all benefit from her wise words. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about your life before your daughter died. Before my daughter and her name was Imani passed away, I was the typical working mother. All was all things chauffeur, uh, chief cook and bottle washer, and everything centered around my child to make sure she was thriving and had everything she needed to succeed. And she was your only child, is that right? She was my only child. Um, I was a single mom, newly divorced at the time, right before she passed. And I was actually balancing two jobs. One was I had started my own financial services business. And the other job was working part-time with a dear friend of mine who had started her own marketing staffing company. Okay. So it was really, really busy. Uh, supporting Imani as she started her, was beginning to start her senior year in high school. Wow. And how did she die? She passed away from a heart infection. Um, And uh, I tell people she was the picture of health. She, um, as you would like to kind of know, whenever you go to your checkup, she... Um, didn't have anything. She had no history of being sick, a perfectly healthy child. And as as a matter of fact, she was a health nut. She didn't eat pizza, hot dogs, anything that the typical teenager would eat. She did not eat that. She um, got a fever, and um, she was on her way to um, the Georgia um in a, uh, an elite uh, camp for Georgia High School seniors called um, GHP, Georgia's Honors Program. And she was on her way to that program when she got a fever. And so I took her to the doctor um, and the pediatrician, and the pediatrician said, hey, it's just a fever, it's probably a virus, it'll go away in a couple of days. This was on a Wednesday. On a Friday, uh, I took her back to the pediatrician and say, hey, I'm concerned, we're supposed to be leaving on Sunday, and I want to make sure she's cleared to go. So they took more tests and said, hey, we'll have more results on Monday, and you guys can, I'll give you a call and get the results of the test. So this was on a Friday. Saturday, I still was not feeling good because she was still had a fever, and I took her to the emergency room. And so there we went through a battery of tests, and I always remember the doctor said to me, Uh, Ms. Thompson, um, we can't find anything wrong with Imani. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, is she cleared to go to camp? And he said, absolutely, just keep a watch on her and um, call a pediatrician if something happens. So um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. We lived in Atlanta, Georgia. The camp was in Valdosta, Georgia. So I said, great. Now, Imani had a fever, but she wasn't um, like lethargic or anything. She still had her energy. She just had a fever. And so we took her to camp on Sunday. We left her. And then Monday, she called me and she said, hey, mommy, I feel great. I just went to the infirmary. Um, they gave me some um, some uh, muscle relaxers and antibiotic, and I feel wonderful. And I was like, well, maybe she should have taken the, anti- uh, the muscle relax. She said, I feel great. That was Monday uh, afternoon. Monday night, her dad called her. She was watching Project Runway. And uh, she said, hey, daddy, I'm feeling good. I'll talk to you guys later. Tuesday morning, I got a call from the resident director saying that she had collapsed. Mm. And I said, is she conscious? And he said, yes. And so her dad and I rushed from Atlanta. We drove from Atlanta to Valdosta. Uh, Along the way, they kept calling us, where are you? Where are you? And we said, we're on our way. And they allowed us to talk to her. But when she would talk to us, we could not understand anything she was saying. Mm. So when we arrived at the emergency room, went into her specific room, immediately we saw that she had had a stroke. Wow. So the right side of her mouth was twisted as, as well as her fingers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen someone with a stroke. Mm-hmm. And the first thing she said was, Mommy, Daddy, what took you so long? Mm-hmm. And those were the last words that she spoke to us. Wow. And what did, and they, so, what did they diagnose that she had had finally? Stephanie? Um, The end result was that she had endocarditis, which is an infection of the heart caused by group B strep. Mm -hmm. So group A strep is what you get in your throat. So somebody says, oh, I have strep throat. That's that's group A. Group B is a little known um, strep that's usually found in older adults over 65 and young babies and uh, pregnant moms. Hmm. So Imani was in the, the 5% that of her age group that would get this particular strep. But it was unbeknownst to us because I, I did not have group B strep when I was carrying her. Mm-hmm. So she was diagnosed with endocarditis caused by a group B strep infection, bacterial infection. So um, we had to have her life lighted too. Um, Shands Hospital in Gainesville, Georgia, the University of Florida Hospital, where she had emergency surgery to remove the pressure on her brain. And um, that was on a Tuesday night. And so subsequently, the doctors called us in and said, we have two choices. We can give her a feeding tube and a breathing tube, or we cannot. And you... You can decide, take all the time you want Mm. to decide how you want to move forward. Mm. And so we decided as a family that um, 80% of her brain was gone. The only thing that was left was the brain stem, which controls your breathing. And we decided as a family, if she could breathe on her own, we would take her home. And so um, several days later, we decided to take the breathing tube out to see if she could breathe on her own. She could not, and so she passed away. Mm-hmm. So that is 
And were there, were there any tests that should have uh, turned up this uh, diagnosis so that she could have been helped earlier? So when we talked to the neurosurgeon at the University of Florida Children's Hospital, she said, because I said, that's the first thing I said, I said, I took her to the doctor. Mm -hmm. You can imagine I was distraught because I'd taken her to the doctor three times prior to her us even leaving Atlanta. Yes. And he said, um, they were looking for a horse. This was a zebra wow. because she had such a clean history, uh, health profile mm -hmm. with no prior chronic diseases or ailments or anything. They were thinking, oh, it's a typical virus, it'll go away. And again, you know, what I found is that if you have a fever and you don't know where it's coming from, it's coming from something that's going on in your body. Yes. So it's a hard, sad lesson for me to learn. But I'm an advocate for other mothers who, you know, they take their kids to the doctors and the doctors say, oh, go home, you know, it's just a fever. And I just encourage moms to be advocates mm -hmm. and to push the doctors to find out what is causing a fever. The fever, exactly. it, it probably is some type of an infection. And if it's a, a bacterial infection, you get in your blood, bloodstream, cause sepsis, go to your heart, and cause blood clots to go throughout your body, which is what happened to Imani. Mm -hmm. Where did your support come from after she died, Stephanie? My support came from, obviously, friends, family, um, church members, uh, but more specifically, um, other parents who had lost children gave me my best and most meaningful support mm -hmm. because they had walked a mile in my shoes. Um, and so I was able to talk to them because they knew my pain. Mm -hmm. And um, I also, as a, as a working parent, I also got tremendous support from my company, uh, Communicate USA, who allowed me to take the time that I needed to grieve mm. and to step away from my work um, in order to grieve. Now, of course, life doesn't stop even even when you lose a child. You still had to go back to work. How, how hard was that to resume your career? It was extremely difficult because I had lost my focus. So if you can imagine a single parent and your life revolves around your child, um, I took about two months off. It was just such a new paradigm shift for mm -hmm. me because um, I shifted from um, being a mom to this new identity of not having a child in my home, in my life. Mm -hmm. And Imani passed away in June of 2010, so it's been eight years this year. And about the time that I was starting back to work, school was starting. That was the most difficult part, transition I ever had to make, not doing anything remotely related to back to school. Mm -hmm. Yes, very in the In the first month, after her death, and it was almost like I was on the outside looking in, mm -hmm. if you can imagine, mm -hmm. where I had been in that, that space, and now I wasn't 
in that space. I wasn't chatting with other mothers about school supplies and uniforms and, and things like that. So it was very, very difficult. So consequently, I immersed myself in work. Mm. Work became my balm because I just, I needed that escape. Mm. I'd taken two months off to travel and, and, and to just get away, but I needed that day-to-day escape because as you said I you know I wasn't financially uh, you know uh, in a place where I could not work mm-hmm. and you know I had all of my life insurance on my daughter and of course I had life insurance on her too but never thought I would ever have to use it mm-hmm. um but um it was it was extremely difficult to make that transition back into the workforce because as you know people look at you and they're like they're so they feel heartbroken for you and they don't know what to say. And, you know, you just get these stares and looks of like, I'm so sorry, which is fine, but, you know, people don't know how to function around you. So that was part of a difficult transition too, as you, you trans- transition back into uh, the workplace. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because it is hard when someone you know has lost a child and, I know I've been in situations like that where you really don't know what to say. What do you say in a situation like that? Well, I have some, I have some do's and I have some don'ts. And I, everyone grieves differently. And what I'm going to share with you is just a few of my own personal guidelines as I've gone through my journey. I, would encourage people do not say I know how you feel because unless you have a lost a child you don't know how I feel it's not the natural order of things Mm -hmm. and I expected my child to bury me not the opposite and so it's amazing what people say and and not to be um not to put anyone down because of what they uh, who they love but Because your cat died last year or your dog, it's not the same as losing your child. Mm -hmm. And so people make those comparisons, and it really hurts Mm -hmm. because you're comparing me to an animal. You're comparing your loss of an animal to my loss of a child. Again, these are my personal opinions. Um, I would also say... Don't share platitudes. I think what I had to learn was people were coming to me because and sharing things with me because their intent was good. They they were truly sorry. But to say she's in a better place mm. or that God needed an angel um, did not make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, and then last... Lastly, I would say just be courteous and don't ask details. Like, I'm in an interview with you now, so you're asking me details. That's fine. But to walk up to somebody and say, I'm so sorry, how did she die? Mm. And during that initial time frame, you're just not in an emotional place where you want to relive and rehash everything that I just told you every time somebody walks up to you. Yeah. I know I have. But on the flip side... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I have a friend who lost her daughter, and she was upset because people kept telling her she just had to move on and put it behind her. And 
She just couldn't do that. She wasn't at that place yet. You know, I don't think she will ever be at that place. Uh, she found that very upsetting. And I think what happens is people are uncomfortable, right? And so I, I have friends and family. They want you to get back to the old you. Well, the old you is gone, and it's never coming back. Right. You know, that a part of you died with your child, so that old you is non-existent. There's a new you, mm-hmm. and you have to adjust to what that is. It's, it's a complete, you know, paradigm shift, as I said early, mm-hmm. earlier. You know, what I want to encourage people to do is just listen, because you can't fix it. People want to fix it. They want to make you feel better. They don't want to make you cry. You're going to cry whether or not they say anything or not. It's just you're grieving. And then the simple words, I'm sorry for your loss, are perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I have no words. That's fine. And then a hug. The power of touch is so, so, so very important and needed Mm. because... When you go through this kind of loss, sometimes you just need somebody to hug you and tell you it's going to be all right, even though you you don't know that it is. But just saying those words Mm -hmm. are very, very comforting. Did you find, Stephanie, that your career goals changed at all? Did they shift afterwards? Absolutely. Absolutely. Prior to losing any money, um, I was very driven, um, and everything I did was for her. As I told you earlier, we were preparing for her senior year. We're getting ready to go on college tours, mm-hmm. you know, um, submit applications. So, you know, for me, I was working, preparing, you know, to send my child off to college and, and support her in that way. And so um, very, very, very driven to to work hard and, and uh, to earn as much as I could and, and and move forward in my career. After she passed, the reason for me doing all of that was gone. Um, and so my perspective kind of shifted from being um, just driven to... Um, as I said earlier, wanting to immerse myself in work and find myself again. And so what happened was, um, as I said, I I shut down my own personal business. I was in financial services, and I decided that I did not want to do that again because it was sales-oriented and, you know, for sales, you have to be driven, you have to be on it, you have to be a go-getter. Mm-hmm. And I just did not have that in me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I always said I could go back and revisit it if I wanted to. And so what I did was I partnered with um, um, a young a young woman who had started her own company, and I worked with her and helped her build her company. And the benefit of that was that she gave me the, the, the time and the space to work as hard as I wanted to, but also set boundaries so that I did not become a workaholic and go into um, 
a very unhappy place just mm. because I was grieving the loss of my child. So my, my career goals did shift um, because my reason for working and the reason why any parent or most parents work is because they want to provide for their family. I did not have that 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 why anymore. So uh, I got it. I decided to focus on what Stephanie wanted to do. Now I know you established a nonprofit called A Dancer's Heart. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Why you wanted to set that up? So during the time from the time Imani initially became ill to the time she passed away was about eight days. Nine days, and when we got the news that you know we had these options, um, not very good options, I knew I wanted her to have a legacy, and because she was a smart, beautiful, intelligent, um, warm, and giving young lady, and. So she was a dancer. She was a ballerina. So if you, if she aspired to be um, Misty Copeland. Today's Misty Copeland. Misty Copeland wasn't around when she, when she was uh, uh, coming up doing ballet. But she would want to be a Misty Copeland. Mm-hmm. And so um, she loved dance. She, she, you know, just ate, slept, breathed dance every day. And so she was a student, sort of scholar, athlete in, in dance. And so. I wanted to honor other kids who had a passion around succeeding, not necessarily in dance, but succeeding and um, who embodied the same qualities that Imani embodied. And so I decided to start a a nonprofit 501c3 called The Dancer's Heart, and we provide scholarship, leadership, and life skill programs for young women primarily, and we've partnered with her um, high school, Decatur High School and Decatur Education Foundation, as well as Val Ethnic Dance Company to um, uh, fund a scholarship for a graduating high school senior each year. And so that endeavor was part of my healing process. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was still, I'm still working and I'm still, and I, I tell people that's my second job. My first job is, you know, obviously what I do on a day-to-day basis and this is my second job because I have a passion around helping young people succeed. So that's a beautiful legacy for your daughter, certainly. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, what I thought about is if, if the situation was reversed, I never... I never wanted my daughter to give up on life mm-hmm. um, or her goals because her mom wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And so in, in my head, I tell people, even when I get down and I'm sad and I miss her tremendously, I hear her little voice in my head saying, keep going, Mommy. You can do it. Keep going, Mommy. Mm-hmm. And so that is, you know, something that, will live long after we both are gone. And, you know, we've already heard feedback on, you know, the lives that we've been able to touch and, and the people we've been able to inspire through A Dancer's Heart. Do you talk to the young people about Imani? Do they ask you about You know, them? you talked, you asked me earlier about support. And mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful outcomes of, of Imani's death is the 
the adopted daughters that I have gained mm. from her loss, her friends, her dear friends who have showed up and showered me with love, who have checked on me, who spend time with me, who also volunteer in a dancer's heart um, organization. You know, that's, that's the legacy. Right. So I do get to talk to them, you know, and I get to advise them. I get to mentor them. And so it is such, such a, a beautiful blessing that um, came from something so tragic. Mm. So and that's what feeds my soul and keeps me going. Now, I know you're also trying to raise awareness of group B strep and bacterial endocarditis. How do you do that? What what steps does Dancer's Heart take to educate people about those illnesses? Well, when, well whenever we have workshops or when I um, talk to other students and other parents, you know, one of the things that I've realized and I realized with my own child is there's, there's no baseline. Like, as adults, we get annual exams, right? So we know all, you know, how our body's functioning. You know, when when you have a child, there is no baseline annual exam that's really invasive that gives you your you know, your blood type and all these things. And so, what I found out when Imani went away, even though she did you know go to the doctor for her checkup every year because she had to for school, is there were some things that I didn't even know when I was asked. You know, like her blood type. And so I try to educate people, especially when they're sending their children off, is to make sure they have all their medical histories available so that if something does happen, you don't have to um, scrounge around for or, or use your, utilize your memory to see if she's ever had something. Luckily, it was very easy for me for Imani because she historically did not have any, you know, anything, asthma or anything like that. But I know I met some other parents in um, the hospital, the children's hospital, where they were kind of trying to figure out, you know, where can I get this information? Mm-hmm. So I just... I just would encourage parents to be advocates for their children, and that's what I try to do when I'm speaking um, and when we have, whenever we have workshops to tell parents that naturally just don't take what the doctor says. Do your own research and be advocates because you asked me earlier, was there anything else that, that could have been done? Well, in hindsight, I, I found out because after this whole episode, probably a week after she passed away, I emailed the CDC because I was trying to learn everything I could about group B strep. And, you know, one of the things I learned is that when you have a, um, a, a bacterial infection, you just can't take blood out of your arm. You got to take blood out of your legs, out of your thighs, like different places in your body mm-hmm. because the bacteria travels. So, you know, all this is hindsight for me, 2020, but I share this information with other parents because I don't want other parents to get blindsided like I did, even with taking my child to the doctor. Right. And for them not to know that this was going on inside her body or because she had a healthy profile to kind of blow it off like, she'll get better. It's mm-hmm. just a virus. It'll run its course. Mm-hmm. And so Don't many, do that. So many times I think with young people, because they do have those uh, physical resources to bounce back, 
that sometimes we don't take what's happening as seriously as we might. Right, and 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 I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard. Like I, I, you know, a dear friend of mine, her son died of a sinus infection. So mm-hmm. you think it's really innocuous? Oh, you got a sinus infection. Well, it's an infection, and it's a bacterial infection. So mm-hmm. you have to be totally, totally aware, and again, be an advocate for your child, and push your doctor to really find out what's wrong before it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know, Stephanie, you talk a lot about uh, self-care. And uh, some people look at self-care and think, you know, almost that it's a little bit selfish, that you should be thinking about taking care of yourself. How do you regard self-care? And what are some of the things you recommend that people do? I, I think self-care is essential to survival. And... I think, you know, you can say that it's selfish, but what I realize is that if you don't take care of yourself, and I'm, I'm not only from a physical standpoint, but for a, from a mental standpoint, then you will not live your best life, A, and you will not be able to function and focus at an optimal level. And... For me, when Imani passed, I, I, I decided several years ago that I didn't want to be identified um, or defined by her death, but I wanted to be defined by, you know, more so the legacy of her of her leaving. And, you know, when I realized that I was her monument, so she's gone, so I'm her monument, so I have to take care of myself. So... What I do is I live life much more intentionally. I don't take people for granted. Mm. You know, I have aging parents. They're still here. I love on them. Mm. I love on, I I find so much joy in spending time with people and enjoying being in their presence, sharing laughter, sharing memories, sharing food, you know, sharing fellowship, you know, sharing time spent together. I'm just so... Um, I'm such an advocate of just living life intentionally and spending it time, spending it with the people that you love because, you know, it's, this is a trite comment, but life is short mm-hmm. and you're here today and you're gone today and you might be gone the next minute. And so it is important to love as much as you can. And also, you know, say I've learned to say no without being guilty. You know, um, you know, being a parent, you just run around being a caregiver. You run around being an employee for a manager. You know, there's so many demands on all of our lives. And sometimes you just have to say, no, I can't do it. I don't mm-hmm. want to do it. I need time for myself. Mm-hmm. So I have really <laughs> learned to be very good at saying, no, I cannot do that, you know. And... Um, and I've been become very protective of of my of my time with myself, and then um, meditating. You know, I have found so much peace and comfort in my grief journey, in just spending time, quiet time, just being, emptying my mind. Um, when Imani first passed away, my mind raced. I could not sleep. Mm. I could not eat. I could not. My mind would not shut off because. You never forget seeing 
their child take their last breath. And that scene in the hospital when that happened, I could not get it out of my mind. I could not shut it off. Mm. And immediately when she, she, they pronounced her dead, I immediately wanted to go where she was. And so that excruciating pain, you can't imagine how you try to figure out how to function and move on and go forward and you're, you're in so much emotional pain and shock. And so I just had to learn to be, just be, mm-hmm. be still and be comfortable with myself. Now I understand that, and you, then la- that you were thinking about writing okay. a book, is that right? Yes, um, I am. I, I found that I have several books in me, but one is... Um, one thing I'm also passionate about is helping other parents. And what I I found was obviously for me, um, my faith was important to me, and or is important to me. When Imani passed, I could not. I could not pray. I could not pray because I was angry with God because I did not understand why. I did not understand why this beautiful, smart, talented young woman who didn't hurt anybody had to die. Mm. And so I, 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 I could not, I could not function and I'm just so thankful and grateful and I know there is a, a God because people pray for me when I couldn't pray for myself. Mm. And so one of the books that I want to write is is a book of prayers to to help bereaved parents, newly bereaved parents, to give them comfort, to inspire them, to give them strength to make it because you can, you can, and so that's you know my intent, and I'm so blessed that I have a dancer's heart, and we do get a chance to to talk to people like you and, and and create legacies and you know we do have like we have a 5k coming up and it's called a love run mm. and it's all because of you know I'm such an advocate as I told you earlier of, of loving on people while they're here and so I, the, the gist of the run is to love with the people run with the people that you love or in memory of someone that you love and I think you know, when somebody passes away, people really do expect you to get over it quickly. But that person was an integral part of your life. And I think you should take the time out at least once a year or once a month and remember them and remember how special they were to you. I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. I think people are so afraid of, of death and not talking about death. Death is a natural part of life, and even though my child left early, none of us gets out alive. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is important to you, you need to remember them, and you need to show them that they're important to you. So I'm so, I'm I'm just passionate about showing love whenever and however you can, and loving as hard as you can. And then just one one thing I want to say about self-care is, for me, I had to forgive myself because as a parent, 
you're supposed to protect your child. And so for years, I felt so guilty because I felt like I didn't do enough, right? I didn't do enough. Even though I took her to the doctor, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty because you trust what people are telling you. I'm like, I should have done more. I should have just, I should have just pushed them. And I just had to learn to let go and forgive myself and, and tell myself, which is the truth, I did the best that I could at that time. I keep thinking. I keep thinking, Stephanie, as you're talking about this, about you know forgiving yourself and you know that you did everything you could. You know, we're going through such a crisis in this country with the opioid epidemic and so many young people dying from that, and so many parents feeling guilty over that. Uh, your words, I think, could go such a long way towards helping so many people. I, I hope so. I really hope so because nobody wants to see their child in pain. Nobody wants to see, no parent wants to see their child suffer. Exactly. And so you do the best that you can to help them, you know, in the moment. You make the best decisions that you can in the moment. And then you realize there's a bigger plan out there that's bigger than you, and, and your your control is finite. But you have to do the best that you can do in that moment. Right. Well, Stephanie, this has been uh, an amazing conversation. Um, you're such an inspiration, and uh, I loved hearing, uh, learning a little bit more about your daughter and her dancing. And certainly wish you all the luck in the world with Dancer's Heart. Um, and we will put some links uh, on the site so that people can go to the uh, Dancer's Heart website and contribute and learn more about it. Um, and uh, I think that would be, you know, another wonderful um, legacy for your daughter to just uh, continue to reach out and reach more people uh, to carry her message and your message. I, I so appreciate you and, and the organization for caring about um, this subject because grief is is so, um, like I said, a, a taboo subject. A lot of people don't like to talk because it's, you're talking about your pain. Exactly. But yes. you can turn you can turn your pain into purpose, and you can find joy again it takes time um but what I found is helping others helps me and so that's what I'm going to leave you with is anytime that you could help somebody's life be better then I think we should do it that's wonderful advice Stephanie thank you so much for joining us uh today again I'm Charlene Giannetti editor woman around town, and we've been speaking with Stephanie Thompson-Harris. Thank you so much. Take care.